0: Kia ora and welcome to The Liz Gunn Show. Today is the beginning in what will be a long series of interviews and discussions with interesting young millennial Kiwis. It's going to be a series looking at their creativity and their vision and their entrepreneurship. And one of them, one of the leading ones, in my opinion, is joining me today, Nathan Freighter from Backbone Marketing. Kia ora, Nathan. Kia ora, Can I call you Nate? You Can you call that? me whatever you like? You know, when I asked you how you would describe yourself when we were warming up for this, you used some wonderful epithets. An innovator, an idealist, an entrepreneur, a creative, a naive, a visionary and an antagonist. Let's begin with that last one, an antagonist. What is the purpose of the antagonist to wake us up?
1: To, to create and stimulate change. So I'm a really, really firm believer that growth occurs through change. And, and if you're not, if there's no change, it's very, very difficult to expand and grow and develop as a person. And so for for me. In, in both my personal life and my business life and my relationships I like to stimulate change and I find for me and usually for those around me that change results in growth
0: change can often come from pain and antagonism can have that pejorative sense yeah. of pain are you are you okay with making people feel uncomfortable to the point of pain
1: yes I'm, I'm most importantly, I'm okay with making myself experience pain to grow. And, and I wouldn't ever expect of anyone else something I wouldn't expect of myself. And I, I, I like to, I trained for Olympic lifting years ago and got to a competitive level. And I learned through that sport that the amount of pain, physical pain that the body can handle is a lot greater than most people actually would believe and the the mental fortitude and the mental strength I got from pushing the physical barriers of my body, that they, they, teach, they teach you um, a, a skill set that can be brought into anything. And so for me, pain, there's nothing wrong with pain. We live in a, a very coddled society where people shy away from pain. We wear clothes to protect ourselves from the environment. We protect ourselves from discomfort in relationships by ending them early. And all of these things are, you know, are actually shying away from discomfort because discomfort is the precursor to pain. And so I wouldn't expect anyone around me to experience pain or discomfort that I haven't already put myself through or experienced at a greater level.
0: That's a wonderful philosophy in lots of ways. It's the philosophy Mm. of the warrior. Mm. The, The warrior spirit is always unafraid to go into the dark cave. Yeah. I want to look into how you've come to be shaped in this way. because how old are you now?
1: I'm twenty seven now, turning twenty eight this year.
0: Because it's an incredibly mature point, what you've just articulated. Mm. We'll come back to that list of epithets. but before we go into your background, tell me what backbone marketing does, what your what your goal is and what you're working in at yeah. the moment.
1: So so we're we're on a mission to create New Zealand's most ethical marketing agency. We specialize in Facebook ads and most importantly, we specialize in making our clients money. And, and for us, it's, it's working with good people. We have a very firm, no dickhead policy. We don't work with
0: <laughs> no, dickhead no dickheads. <laughs> yeah. We,
1: we don't want to work with people who are hurting the planet, who are taking advantage of people. You know, we're, you don't have to, you don't have to compromise and and work with people who aren't value aligned. And, All too often I see marketing agencies that either have no values or don't live their values. And or
0: their value is let's just make money at any yeah, cost. Yeah. Because there seems a juxtaposition, you say, where we make a lot of money for our clients and where we want an ethical agency. Immediately, mm-hmm. my brain went, hold it, hold it. Do those fit together? Yeah. So this is that millennial shift that's saying we can have it all. We can do the ethics and the care for the environment and make money. Completely. How does it work? How do you see it?
1: Well, being an entrepreneurial person, I don't really believe in compromise. I'm the money in the bag you know like i've i've never been one who's kind of gone oh i have to let go of this you know I, I have to let go of product a to have product b i'm more how can i have both how can i experience it all how can i travel and love my company how can i you know build a relationship and a business at the same time and that's been that's been my mindset and everything and i think in in the business sense the too many people have a focus on this extractionary nature of i need to take everything whereas when you look at the the greatest companies in the world they have very very strong missions and very strong statements and a lot of the the fastest rising ones at the moment they have a strong give back they have a they have a really deeply ingrained care into their constitution and they're not compromising look at all birds you know the fastest growing shoe company in the world and they're, they're a social enterprise, and they're a B Corp, you know, written into their constitution as the pro, profit, planet, people. You know, it, it, they're not mutually exclusive, they, they can all operate in harmony, and that for me, like, good businesses with good people doing good things, is actually more sustainable long-term financially, particularly when you start looking at intergenerational business. If you're going past me and my 10 years, you know, and, and going, I, I want to build something that lasts forever, or at least a planet that lasts forever. You can't just look at profit as your metric for success.
0: This is fascinating. Let's go back to that example, all birds, because not everybody knows about them. Yeah. So describe, dig deeper into that, what what inspires you, because that's going to tell me a lot about the way you approach business as well.
1: I think, and What, what yeah. do they do, first of all? What's so, the product and so how do they all, approach it? All birds make the most comfortable shoe in the world that's that's the acclaim to fame um i own a pair of warbirds i'm about to buy another pair of all um because i wore them in too much they what makes them so good nate and their marketing says it's like walking on clouds and then you buy them and it's like walking on clouds and you go that product is as good as they say it is
0: because as yes. soon as you say that, I hear PR spin and yeah. I dismissed it. So it really That's with, with total lives integrity.
1: Up. With total integrity, it's why? A
0: What's it made of? What? How, how are they doing? So
1: it? merino merino wool. So you don't have to wear socks with them. They're merino wool. They're breathable. They're, they they fit to the size of your foot. They're very they're fluid, right? So they're a very comfortable shoe. The foam inner is made of like a, a rubber that's grown sustainably. So it's a sustainably grown rubber. The sole is sustainably farmed. And, and the shoe itself, it's not a shoe you want to walk for six hours in, but it's an everyday shoe that you can wear to the office. And they blew up in Silicon Valley. If you're, if you're an investor or an entrepreneur and you live in San Francisco, you wear birds. And they just nailed it. But most importantly, they, they have been uncompromising in developing good materials, using those good materials, and making sure their margins are there. You know, and and i I admire any business that can simultaneously make bucket loads of cash and have a positive, you know a carbon negative impact on the environment, and you know have a culture of care, which is what you know that's what they outwardly project. And for me, I like the fact that I saw their ads. For a long time. I didn't buy them. I was like, I'm not getting suckered in. You know, I'm like, I'm not one to buy things for the marketing. I'm very critical when I see my And I that's see, yeah. a lot
0: of millennials. They yeah. see through the PR rubbish now.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I see reviews from I see reviews on Amazon and I go, I know that I could employ someone in the Philippines for two dollars an hour to write fake reviews ten hours a day. Wow. So I'm not convinced that all reviews are real. Yeah. And so I saw the reviews for all birds and I was like, yeah, whatever. You know? It wasn't until I met a friend who recommended them to me and and raved on and on and on about them. I've probably sold a hundred pairs of their shoes for them. And and not because just it's a great product. It's that's the Tesla model. Like Elon Musk didn't set out to create an amazing electric car. He set out to create the best vehicle in the mid-sized luxury sedan market. Just so happens to be electric. It's faster, it's safer, it's more comfortable, it's got seven seats in a car. You know, like, it wasn't just an exceptional um, electric car. It was an exceptional car by any metric. And that's, you know, that's the, that's a good business. And that's a good social enterprise. They're not setting out to kind of just go, oh, we're going to do what everyone else is doing, but be a bit better and care. They're completely disrupting industries.
0: I've, uh, I mean, you've, you've made me curious. Now I really want to look at the shoes because it's a recommendation. This is a big marker of millennials. Mm. They will take recommendations from friends. They will look through the marketing yeah. and the and the BS of all of it now. And with a very cynical, healthy eye, it's real mm. caveat emptor. You know, buyer beware with your generation. Don't try oh, yeah. and sell us rubbish, and don't do stuff that. Uh, that denudes the planet. That seems to be a real theme that comes through with millennials. So let's say I have a product. Let's say I have a Warbirds with beautiful New Zealand merino woolen equivalent, and I come to you and I say I'm just right at the beginning of this, but I think this could take off. I think it's got real potential. You like me. You like the idea. You like my ethics. You like mm. the fact that it's good for the planet. Where would we go then with your marketing firm, Backbone Marketing? What would happen? How would you help me?
1: Usually, usually the first thing, usually the first thing I do is I'd find out what you're doing now. So. I've got a a really straightforward process that starts with what are you doing? What's working? Let's just double down on what's working. Let's remove what doesn't work. And you just do that to build a really, really scalable business. You simply double down on what works and remove what doesn't very consistently. So I'd always start with an evaluation of where you are. If you're completely green, then we start by testing, you know, good marketing. The beauty of, of digital marketing and particularly Facebook is we can test two, 300 variants of an ad in seven days. Wow. So we can, we can I mean, with enough budget, we can test 10,000. So the amount of data we can accumulate in our first month will tell us, have you got a viable business, a viable product, a viable price point, viable cost centers? We can very quickly evaluate it. So that's our first month is always testing. Then we use a special methodology we have three different rounds of testing, each one testing a different function of marketing so whether it's the offer or whether it's the price or whether it's the targeting we'll move through those different testing methodologies to figure out the kind of the perfect person to talk to so that's the first month then we scale that and then after 90 days usually we move on to commission only so we work on a performance based model where our clients pay us a percentage of revenue
0: it, it's a phenomenal model, but it's built on actually a phenomenal personality, which you do yeah. have. You yeah. from the from the moment I met you, you were in a, an entrepreneurial hub. You were getting other young ones your age into to say, let's all back each other and amplify each other. I thought this guy has a has a brain that works as fast as a it's 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 just a beautiful, very quick mind. And I've stood with you in front of a, a whiteboard going through ideas. And you seem to have this innate ability to take very big concepts and break them down into very manageable bite-sized pieces, don't you? Where's that come from, Nate?
1: I'd love to say it was by design. Um, I think I, I like this concept of a life apprenticeship, right? So everything that's ever happened around me and everything that I've ever made it mean, has prepared me for the very current moment that i'm experiencing and so there have been so many different things that have have led to me being able to distill ideas down Communications a huge a huge kind of a part of who i am and strategy is something i love but f- for me i mean i was i was speaking in front of a church with 300 people when i was eight years old So I didn't have any issues with speaking and moving around so much. I I love meeting salespeople and I can tell very, very quickly whether that salesperson moved around a lot when they were a kid based on their innate ability to build rapport. So I build rapport as fast as anyone else I've ever met and and genuine, real high integrity rapport. It's not farcical, this is a game. It's I build genuine rapport very quickly because I moved around so much as a kid. And I learned to talk to people older than me and younger than me and the same age as me and richer than me and poorer than me because I had a very diverse upbringing. And so when I meet salespeople, I can tell, I just spoke to a guy I'm coaching a few days ago and we had this long conversation. We've been talking about 15, 20 minutes and I turned around to him and said, you moved around a lot when you were a kid, didn't you? And he's like, "What? how can you tell? And I was like, I know in, in your language, that you had to learn to make friends very fast yes. and that's what i had so communication is a huge part of it and and a real hunger to learn and so a lot of a lot of people i find have such hunger for learning and desire to understand the analytical and they dive into wanting to understand everything but without the equilibrium of under, of wanting to communicate so much they that's where you get these technicians who have a deep understanding of something but can never enroll people in their vision and for me i hybridized between technician and visionary and i was up last night building a messenger bot for a client that went viral so we like one of my clients went viral last night and you know i built the bot myself because i i needed to understand the technical but then I can explain exactly what happened with the communication.
0: Explain that. I mean, you've yeah. just taken me down a little side <laughs> road that fascinates me. What is a messenger bot and how did it work and what happened um, when it went viral? What so, do you mean by viral, though?
1: So, no, I, I mean, mean, viral, Viral. we got 8,500 comments on our Facebook post in under seven hours. That's I think. viral. That's so pretty that, good. That's viral. That's good.
0: Um, and what is a messenger bot? So,
1: uh, put very simply, a messenger bot is like email marketing through Facebook.
0: Right, so I
1: have heard of you that. You can yeah. create these little conversational sequences with a, an automated system on Facebook. So it's kind of like, I would describe a messenger bot like the call minder system at a large organization. So you call Vodafone, you don't talk to someone straight away. You, you, you choose your own adventure. You press one to talk to this department, three to talk to this subcategory, five to talk to the person who can actually help you, and then you get transferred. So we can do that same type of thing inside Facebook Messenger. So last night's one was a giveaway for a brand, a well-known New Zealand brand. And um, we did a giveaway for a lifetime supply of their product and you have to comment to win. Okay. And so someone comments and then they get sent a message says, thanks for your entry. Hey, while we've got you here, and this is in their personal Messenger inbox, Mm. they get sent an automated message. While we've got you, if you'd like to... um, double your chances of winning, tag friend in the post. Every friend you tag is an extra entry in the draw.
0: That's a brilliant idea. You know, you were talking before about clients that give away, that will Mm. help, that put something back in. And do you know the most successful company in the world gives everything it has away? Do you know what who's it is? Google. It?
1: Google. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's,
0: it's giving away its information. I think mm. we've moved completely from this gouging kind of, you will sit in front of my ad and I will yeah. pound you until you buy my let's product. Interact. Let's, love now each let's other. interact. It's us Now, let's interact. What can I give you? And yeah. maybe you, you'll enjoy this. I love that you've got clients who are doing that. Yeah. There's so many different avenues here, Nate, that I want to go down. I want to look back at your early life. But just before that, you mentioned earlier that you also coach clients. So what's that, that part? of your business
1: i don't do a lot of coaching um mainly because i think there's too many coaches in the world already and and i i I think that there's a lot of a lot of people coaching and and it wasn't a space i wanted to get into but i i work with people who want to make more money who aren't dicks (laughs) it's really simple you know and it's it's there are a lot of very
0: wounded coaches there are there a lot are. of people who shouldn't be coaching they yeah. need to get their own lives sorted out and that's that applies to counselors as well so yeah. i'm i'm like I'm I'm you're suspicious yeah. of that but lot, i love yeah. that idea you work with people who you can really connect with and they've got a well, genuine people vision people
1: people who take yeah. action one of the guys i'm coaching he works for a social enterprise and they need to grow their sales their sales capability and so i'm working with their sales their sales guy and he's an epic dude, and he's motivated, and I'm coaching him. I'm actually coaching him as part of their marketing retainer. So they're not even technically paying me for it. So I've got two coaching clients at the moment. One pays, one of them it's pro bono. They're a social enterprise. They care about people. And, and so I sit down with them, and I help them work through limiting beliefs. I help them work through objection handling. I help them work through making more money. But he has a, a fiscal obligation to generate that business more money. Yes. And for me, as as an advisor, as someone who's helping that company, I desperately want them to make more money. They deserve to make more money. They're gonna do amazing things with it. And so for me, I, I just felt like that was someone I wanted to help. And the other people I help, I've got a few uh, shorter term coaching clients who will come to me with a specific problem and I'll workshop out a problem with them and, and solve it. And for that, it's, it's people who, show high action so anyone can say that they're going to take action but for me people who simply come and sit down digest information take it away and act on it within a week that's the highest indicator i've seen of success
0: I really love that. I love the I love the idea that you are you're pushing them on, but you said the line earlier, I help him clear out his limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. That's a big call, Nate. You are yeah. still only twenty seven. It's young <laughs> relatively in terms of life experience. Have you sorted your own limiting beliefs out?
1: Yeah, I am. I, I've made I've made a lot of good friends with my own insecurities and and had my own battles with, with addiction and particularly, you know, dealing with my own desire to escape my my mind and, and escape my feelings and and
0: within that possibly escape your past. Yeah, a lot,
1: there's a lot of a lot of running happens with myself, you know and in, in, in the past I really I struggled to grasp this disparity between who I knew I could be and who I was and and that caused a lot of pain. And so so through that, yeah, I, I've, I've had to do a lot of work. On, on myself. Yeah, that's a
0: beautiful and honest and vulnerable answer. And and that level of vulnerability takes an enormous amount of courage. Yeah. So let's go back to your childhood. Can you give us a bit of an idea of that? You mentioned that you were talking in front of many people, eight hundred people, when you were a, a young boy. But tell me what it was like. What were you born into?
1: So I was born into the church. So my parents were both ministers, and. I think at the time it was the Apostolic Church, and and they were they were really proud Christians and and had a deep love for God and and for the community they were a part of, but they were actually trained to become priests, and so obviously they took an active role in the church, and so I, I can remember being given gospels to read, you know, and we lived. In, I grew up in Kaitaia and in the Far North. And I remember being given a gospel to read and, and then telling me, you've got to practice it, you've got to practice it, and standing up, never having read the gospel and, and ad-libbing in the middle of the church, <laughs> just kind of winging it. And and, and I'm sure God was pleased. I'm sure God loved it. I mean, I know that God loved me and that's what matters. Yeah. And and so we had a really interesting... We had a very interesting life where we didn't have a lot of money, but everything was worked out for us, you know? And, and there, were, there was a lot of stress, you know, around around finance and in our house and but we always knew that mum and dad were doing their best we knew that they loved us and and we knew that it was always going to be okay
0: that stress can play out though between parents now that we're all adults we know what that feels yeah. like and there can be stresses that children pick up did you experience that
1: a lot of it yeah so for for a large amount of my adult life I was so driven to be financially wealthy at all costs that I sacrificed my health. I, I had a total breakdown at 23 because I couldn't even remember who I was anymore. You know, I'd spent so long juggling these identities and learning to be a new person to fit in at each move and to fit in at each new school and, and each stage and each team and each social circle that uh, I couldn't remember who the real Nathan was. And it took me it took me until really last year to it took three years to truly figure out who who this kind of real nathan was who i am as as a man as an entrepreneur as as a business owner as a lover you know all of these different pieces and and it was all to do with you know what some would call childhood trauma but it was experience you know i moved around a lot and I remember seven, it, the, 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 when you do personal development, a lot of people, there's all these three moments that formative moments, uh, I think it's the study of ontology, what it is to be human. The three moments that happen between zero and seven, seven and 12, 12 and 21. And psychotherapy believes that CBT follows the same methodology. All of these Cognitive
0: brain uh, Cognitive exactly.
1: behavioral therapy, Cognitive yeah.
0: behavioral, yes. And
1: and so counseling, psychotherapy, yeah. um, coaching, they all have these same systems and and for me it was i remember i was seven years old and i was living in kaitaya and i loved living in Kaitaia. it was beautiful i had great friends i got to go on the farm there was, my friend had quad bikes and water holes and it was it, it was the dream for a kid you know like yeah i mean Kaitaia is very very stricken with poverty and a lot of gangs and seven years old you walk to school you don't know there's gangs you know there's just guys with pit bulls and guys without and um and i remember being sat down and we would have been i would have been maybe eight and mum and dad were talking about we're moving to auckland and and i knew at that point that i was losing all of my friends no matter what mum and dad said i was losing all of my friends and i couldn't understand and they you know and they had a calling from god and they had Financial reasons and they had to finish their education. all sorts of reasons, but I view it as I, I viewed it as they were being told that they had to, why, how could they possibly be choosing to do this? They must be being forced to do it. And I created the story of Don't Tell Me What to Do, which is every entrepreneur I've ever met has the same Don't Tell Me What to Do. And so that was, you know, that was a formative moment. And then there's another one where there was there was some angst around money, and so I became I'm going to be a millionaire. And another one was, um, I, I, I can't remember. There was a maybe a girlfriend did something, and I made it mean that I wasn't good enough. And you know, and so all of a sudden I was an entrepreneur who didn't want to be told what to do, who wasn't good enough, who was
0: never good enough, you know,
1: and wow. and who wanted to be very very wealthy. And so I chased that with reckless abandon, and and found, and I always had in the back of my mind, I always knew the reason I wanted to be wealthy was to give back. There was never, there was never any like, I'm just gonna make heaps of money. Because I had so deeply anchored in me, the importance of caring for your fellow humans, and you know, with what I was mod- modeled for my parents. I just looked at, maybe wanting to build a different way. You know, I looked at kind of like, okay, I saw them do it with financially with a hand tied behind their backs. You yes. know, without the freedom of, of finance and, And I went, I want to be different. But I did it as a reaction. And it wasn't until I started exploring the kind of reaction I was being to my family and to my past that I realized that I needed to choose to to embrace and to love everything that had happened. You know?
0: That is a There's some beautiful stuff in these answers you're giving because I I was being a reaction to my past. Many of us can relate to that. Most people. And I think those stories of I I wonder how many men, particularly men I'm going to single out in the corporate world, are driven by that idea I'm not good enough. We struggled for money, so I'm going to have money and lots of it at all costs, even if I trample people and trample over the ethics I used to believe in. I think those things are there in many... In many men yeah. and I think it's something the corporate world uh, suffers from greatly because those secret wounds lie sort of at a subterranean level and nobody yeah. really brings them to the surface and here you are saying I've not only reconciled myself well wrestled with them and reconciled myself with them but I'm willing to share them so they might help other people it's mm-hmm. a it's a wonderful enriching side of what you can do in business Nate
1: yeah well, business should should be it should have feelings and emotion it should have connection and vulnerability you know and i think there are a lot of people who who segment and partners lives business life you know and and have them as separate things for me i kind of i kind of made the decision a few years ago that i wanted to just be one version of me <laughs> meaning? And meaning meaning what meaning less games less less fitting who i am into who i'm talking to which is something most people i think can can relate to is this idea of bringing yourself back and tapering who you are to to appease the people you're with and you know to, to bring this exhausting. back to antagonism yeah. I, i'm me i'm not an intentionally antagonistic person i i'm not an intentionally disruptive person i'm an intentionally true person so I I set an intention of being as closely as close to myself as possible, and that means that I antagonise people. You know, I'm going to trigger people because I care more about the result and about my own truth than I care about pandering to people's uh, let's say their ego or their insecurities. I'm I'm not so worried about that. And, and you won't play games. I don't play games. I've played a lot of games in my life, and I don't want to be the person who plays games. I, I want to be the person who plays me.
0: So if you see someone who's playing games who's clearly not comfortable in their own skin, because you are comfortable in your own yeah. skin, you will push them a little bit to, to to make them wrestle themselves with their own discomfort.
1: Well, I don't see it as my place to push them until they ask to be pushed. You know, I, don't, I don't like mm-hmm. to push people... I, I, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of coaches out there who overstep their mark just in conversation with people and, and they go a bit too far. And I've seen it happen before, actually with, with my partner, um, a coach probably having what he thought was a perfectly suitable conversation because he hangs up with lots of coaches. But he was talking to someone who had just started their own business and questioning their rationale for doing so. and And I saw the way he did it and I was like, that wasn't with compassion. It wasn't with love. It was uh, it was quite an embrace of conversation. And, and I didn't really like it. I kind of... I think, for, for me, I wouldn't... I'm, I'm just me. I just do me. And sometimes the byproduct of doing me is people realize something about themselves. Sometimes what they realize about themselves is they really don't like me. And I'm kind of okay with that. I'm, I'm not... I don't set out to be the most liked person in Auckland, or New Zealand, or the world. I'm just setting out to be more and more true to myself
0: actually that is impossible if you're going to be true to yourself and you're going to look to be the most like person those two are completely like, canceling each other yeah, you just yeah. have to accept some yeah. some like you and some don't but you have this beautiful warmth those years of the breakdown and before that you alluded to being on drugs mm. and I know that you said I struggled with drug addiction um, um I think from about 15 is that right I
1: think, I think what did I, they yeah. do for
0: you how did they enrich you those years of pain because we talked about mm. you being the antagonist but you can do that because you, also, you yourself have experienced great pain at times.
1: I think I've put myself through a lot and been put through a lot. I've had a lot of things that have grown me a lot of a lot of trials, a lot of um, difficult experiences that, that, that I grew from from I mean I, I remember I think I started drinking when I was 15 and I mean drinking was forbidden in my house. So there was always an alert I never did it to be cool. I never I never drunk because it was this big rebellion. I, I got really drunk one night and enjoyed enjoyed the feeling of not having to have everything under control, you know. And yes. kept drinking, you know, and then and then um, started smoking pot when I was 15, 16. And again it was a nice escape. It was a nice way to turn the brain off. You know, I didn't know how to meditate. I, you know, I I, I distanced myself from prayer and any kind of reflective process. I was struggling at school, not academically. (laughs) I was struggling with school as a system and and I was working a lot, you know? So, I mean, for, for me it was drinking, drinking just became a part of life. And the issue became the fact that drinking kept becoming a bigger and bigger part of life. Until, you know, when things started getting really stressful or work started collapsing or business was failing, I would drink and I would escape and I would take drugs and I would do whatever I could to turn my mind off.
0: And to not feel.
1: And to not feel, yeah. And what
0: would you say to someone who's listening to this right now who's who knows he's on that path or who might be even beginning to play with the edges of going down that path? What would you say? Because he also or she also could be an inordinately bright person who isn't stimulated enough at school, who isn't feeling clear about who they are or what yeah. direction. Coming from that tunnel and emerging into the light, what would you say looking back, Nate?
1: There's a few things I'd say. I think I built a mantra for myself, which was that I wanted to build a life for myself that was so exciting, I didn't want to desensitize myself to one second of it. Wow. And alcohol is numbing, so once you understand that alcohol is taking you out of your life, not taking you into it, then it's a very simple switch. And so I, I, that was a, something I recited to myself. I started playing mental games, so I didn't know what I was doing, but I I realized that you can reprogram your mind, so any behavior you have you can change, and I decided to reprogram, I also quit smoking, so I quit smoking, quit drugs, quit coffee, quit alcohol, I quit meat, I I quit pretty much everything within a few years. and Overnight,
0: like cold nah, turkey, or, or th- take one
1: time? at a time. Yeah, yeah. But, but all of them were cold turkey, mm. and and this was the mechanism I used. I used the consumption of substance, whatever the substance was. the The consumption of said substance was equivalent to wanting to kill myself. Smoking cigarettes was the easiest because it literally is. And so, the moment I decided I didn't want to smoke anymore was the moment I made the decision that consuming a cigarette was the equivalent to wanting to kill myself. And I don't want to kill myself. I, I don't want to end this. I just was struggling with what this was. Wow. And so that's the mechanism I used to stop whatever the habit was. Um,
0: so the quid pro quo of that is I want to be hugely alive, yeah, very Yeah, I want present, to live
1: more, which was I want to build a life that's so exciting I don't want to escape from it. And, mm-hmm. and so it became a very positive, I want to build this life. Um, the, other, the other thing f- for me is understanding and identifying what it was that, that I wasn't enjoying and starting to take actions to change it. When, when you have radical clarity about where you're going, you can move towards it. And one of the things that I noticed was if I didn't have clarity about where I was going, it was a lot easier to kind of bumble through life. And as someone who had tasted success and been aware of how much I could achieve in such a short time frame, having been kind of what I'd say high output, to then be low output was very difficult. And that's a lot of the a lot of the pain came from feeling like I wasn't doing enough or or moving towards my future or my whatever my truth was.
0: What's the success you're alluding to there? Having tasted S- su- success. What were you talking about?
1: Success financially school or I mean I was duct as my intermediate. Um
0: I imagine like, you were a very bright, very precociously bright child. I was a very
1: dangerous child to have in a classroom. The
0: best. I'd yeah. love a child like yeah. you if I was a teacher
1: because yeah. stimulating,
0: questioning. But what was the success you were talking about that just coming I mean, through was, those moments as you come through school and post-school?
1: There were, there were different successes. So there was, I mean, there's financial success, which was fine. I mean, I remember, um, I, I, rem- I remember, I remember like my first $5,000 week. You know, as a 16-year-old and and being like, that's that's a lot of money, you know, that was pretty cool. And um and I remember I remember the feeling of that, but I also success beyond just the finance, success of of having a pretty amazing life. I remember at one point, I remember checking in on my business from Los Angeles. I was traveling for, for five or six weeks, and I remember checking in on my business and seeing like the sales in the store and seeing the production in the factory and being able to see all of that from the other side of the world, for me that was a success and I was able to enjoy myself. And so having, I think success for me was, is more about this idea of knowing what, what I'm capable of and it's not necessarily linked to making a unit of money or generating a particular thing. It's more about this feeling of like, I did, I did my best from my best, with my best, and created my best. And I've had moments of that. And now I think my life is so much more in, in balance and a lot, a lot calmer, a lot more, a lot more reflective, reflective and introspective. And success is still the same. It's knowing I got the most out of the day. The most is no longer did I work 16 hours and make, you know, as much money as possible. It's all about did I get the most out of it. And in terms of units of enjoyment, not wealth.
0: Nate, you're 27 years old. This is the third time I've said this. You are going to do some extraordinarily inspiring stuff in your life. I, I can predict that absolutely unguardedly. It's Some of the wisdom coming through is just so beautiful, and I feel honored to be having this, this discussion, this corridor with you. Uh, tell me about that business you went into because that had its highs and its lows, and we don't need to go into the specifics if you don't want to, but just generally you had a business that – built up to a certain success level and then what happened?
1: Yeah, so I, I was involved in a, a, a pretty successful um, business that I started as a retail assistant. Um, my sister was was working in the business as well and she kind of brought me on board. I was doing some sales consulting and, and a couple of side projects and and she she said to me, I said, hey, do you want to come in and, and, and do a, I need it, I need it someone a day a week in the retail store? And I was like, cool, I'll do that. And and when got involved and and my first day in the store, I had like one of the best sales days the store I'd ever had, and I got a little bit of a buzz off it, and I really enjoyed the transactional matter of the business. And um, as
0: you enjoy people, I you business with
1: people all the time, mm. you know, and selling a product that people wanted, and you know, loving the product i was selling, and and so I yeah, I got I got stuck in. And I ended up getting to the point where I was working you know 80, 90 hour weeks. Um, physical physical hard weeks as well as, as mentally draining, trying to solve business problems and running, running the show. And um, I learned a lot. Everything I've ever done in business has been a learning experience. I've, I've been involved in small businesses for 13 years now and at and, and various different stages in their life cycle. And everything has been a learning experience, but you, you don't learn anything as quickly as when you're losing everything. That's when you learn the most. It's when you learn the most about people around you, but it's also when you learn the most about about business itself and the functions of business and how it really works. You know, and, and that's what happened with that business. You know, we 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 really we we saved it from some from some pretty massive hurdles, and and they took their toll on us physically and emotionally. It was very, it's very difficult saving a business that's that's hemorrhaging money or Struggling, or you know, a, a product's broken, or whatever, you know, loses a contract. Those, those were you times. You were partner
0: in the business by this stage, or
1: were you still working I was for still, the principal? We're still working, working for the business. Um, we took a shareholding in the company, and ultimately, I'll say, the business was destined for success. Um, the there were just circumstances outside of the business's control that that created a lot of. Of, of, of struggle you know financial struggle there it was just a, a business that needed a lot of cash you <laughs> is know? that
0: passing the buck too much though is that letting them off easy be an uh, antagonist like, here surely like, I think, surely every business could say it's beyond my control but in the end it is the yeah. i think everyone in the business of the person in there doing yeah. it if yeah.
1: everyone in the business could have done things like there were i was inexperienced to deal with relationships and dynamics and that but mm-hmm. like how would i deal with that now very differently <laughs> Um, you know, my sister who I was working with, we, we, were, we were two young people who were building out a, a business on a nationwide scale. And, and there, were, there were things, there were people who could have supported us that we didn't even know existed. I've got, you know, a, a network of mentors, of advisors, of coaches, of, I've got a business partner, you know, I've, I've got millionaire mentors who have been there, done that, but I can call at any point in the time and time and go, what should I do here? And you've yeah. built
0: that up since you I had this up, yeah. this experience. I didn't have
1: that then. And yes. you know, and it was being able to disseminate or distill the right information from you know, from your mentors and from information sources. So again, I didn't have that. For
0: someone out there who's going, oh, I'm in that place, I've Get got mentors. this business. Just How do you away. do it? How yeah. do you recommend they go about
1: it? Like, everybody loves to have their ego stroked, you know. And and look, I've asked of, I asked five people to be my mentors and two of them said yes. Yes. You know? So and, don't be discouraged and, if and someone it wasn't says first, no. And it wasn't the first two, you know? Um, I really admire this guy, Robert Hollis. He's on a mission to end New, Zealand, New Zealand's tall poppy syndrome. Epicumen. And so I called him point blank. I was like, hey, dude, I'd love, you know, I'm looking for a mentor. Here's what I'm going to do. And he's like, look, man, I get asked every week. You're not the first. You're not the last. Like, I get asked for, a, like, a lot um, and I'm just too busy, like I've got my own shit that I'm working on. I don't, I don't have the time to, to be giving back more than I already am. And so he said, here's what you got to do. Go and go to ment- the mentors.org or whatever it is, find someone, apply to work with them, and that, that's, that's what I did. I didn't do that, I found someone a different way, but I listened to his advice. And I went and executed on it. I sent him a message a couple couple of weeks ago. And he was like, boom, awesome, you're fucking epic. Like, I don't know if I swear. <laughs> um, you know, you're epic, like, you know, good on you. And, and he, he, wasn't, he wasn't being arrogant. He was a very busy man who gets asked by a lot of people if, they'll be, if he'll be the mentor. Yeah. And he said no. And um, the other person I asked said no genius in the marketing space. But the point is, is put really simply, find someone who you want to be. As I've always looked at it. Find the person you want to be and ask them to help you get there.
0: It's interesting. And and maybe don't discourage them. Oh, I get these every day. I hated that line when yeah. I was working TV. You don't need to say that. It's yeah. like this person who's having the courage to come to you can handle it with yeah. a bit more sensitivity. But still, he sounds an interesting
1: I, one. I don't like Revit because he's sensitive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
0: I, I loved something you once said to me, Nate. Business is my canvas and money is my paint
1: mm. I want
0: to wrap it with that I just love that expression it's got a beautiful aesthetic what does it
1: mean to you? so must have been 18 months ago I was I'm a creative I'm, I'm not a I'm not a, a, a business owner who creates I'm a creative who uses vehicle a business as a vehicle and I really grappled with how to be, how, how, what my identity as a creative was, and and about eighteen months ago, um, I kind of came to this realization. I, I was like, I want to create more. You know, I was having these conversations with my partner. Like, I just feel like I'm missing so much in my life. And yes, those businesses is just something I'm good at. You know, and, and and connection is something I'm good at. But I'm a creative, and I feel like it's all been to shut off and and i just had this realization that actually in my job i've built a business where i get to be deeply creative every day and i have amazing conversations and i build beautiful strategies and i make people money and i came up with uh, lucy lucy came up with this this, this, is term, your partner. this is my partner i came up with money artist and so that's my brand so the the brand i'll build over the next 20 years is money artists and it's all about bringing the art form of making money into the world and into people who deserve to make money and so that's that's what it means it's i think i think business is business is a canvas business is it can be anything you want it can be it's it's simply the exchange of value and between two parties and so you can make that look amazing you know you can make it feel amazing just like art and and for me it was it was a way of realizing that in my truest form i am a creative and business is a truly creative endeavor and there's a there's a guy who who wrote a book called rework jason freed i think and he was interviewed by tim ferris recently and he said i don't plan i don't write goals I create. He his his focus is to create as much space in his life and in his schedule as possible to create. Wow! And that's how he built a billion dollar business. That's you know? so
0: beautiful. What's his name? Okay. Jason
1: Fried, I think.
0: Yeah. Jason Fried. I'll look yeah. that up a uh, beautiful kind of Zen answer there. I think that's my final question is this, your son is at your your service after you die and he's he's summing you up. We summed you up at the beginning from your words, innovator, idealist, entrepreneur, creative, naive, visionary, antagonist. What What words would you love him to use about his father whose life is done now? Mm. But what would you like him to carry forward to your grandchildren about you?
1: I think for me it's it's caring, someone who who cared and and really deeply impacted the lives of people around me. You know, that's that's why I do what I do. I, I understand that I can make people's lives better and therefore I should. And that's that's what I would want, you know? In my in my obituary is uh, I I would want it's to be really clear that I' I'd, I'd, done, I'd done what I could to live a full life and and live a full life that was also in service.
0: Yeah. Nathan Freyter, what a beautiful what a beautiful discussion. Thank you so yeah. much.
1: Thank you. Have a
0: pleasure.